At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. So when you come face to face with Jesus, it changes everything, doesn't it? Let me, let me say that again, because I don't, I don't know that you really got it. When, when you come face to face with Jesus, it changes everything. I like what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, when you confront the Jesus of the Bible, when you read about what Scripture says about Jesus, you can only have one of three conclusions. You're either going to say he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. He's either a lunatic, he's crazy. If Jesus is crazy, we need to get away from him, right? We need to get some distance between us and him. If he's a liar, and that's evil. And if Jesus is evil, we need to get some distance from him. But if he's Lord, it literally changes everything. And I know that most in this room, I know most watching online, you would say, Billy, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've surrendered my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. No, I know that. And yet I still think that it is appropriate and good for us to continually come back to that question of who really is Jesus to me? And what does that look like to the world around me? Let's take our Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we started a sermon series just last week called Thy Kingdom Come, where we're looking at Mark chapter 3, 4, and 5. I love what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1. He says this, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, King Jesus, the kingdom, King Jesus has come. King Jesus went from the throne room of grace, the throne room of heaven, to this earth, bringing the kingdom of God here. And when he did, everything changed. So Jesus started his public ministry in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Mark. And when he did, the demons fleed. The demons went on the run. Sicknesses and diseases were healed. And, of course, you know the crowds are going to gather when that happens. what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about how all these crowds started to press in and, and get close. They came from miles and miles and miles around. They started to get close just to see what Jesus was going to do next, just to hear what he was going to say. But Jesus wasn't against the crowds, but he wasn't just looking for fans. He wasn't just in the business of looking for spectators. He wanted fully devoted followers. He wanted disciples. And so Jesus made his way to the sea. And, and as he did, like the crowds just, doo -doo -doo, you know, they followed him. And so then he went up on this mountainside. He got a little bit distance between him and the crowds, yet he could still see the crowds. And out of that crowd, he called the 12. He called the 12 to come and to follow. That's where we ended last week and where we're picking up this week. It brings us to our big idea that Jesus' reign calls for our ultimate allegiance. Jesus' reign calls for our ultimate allegiance. The thing is, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. Because so often times, and maybe you've never done this in your life, but so many times what happens is we approach Jesus like that's a Sunday conversation. Right? Like Jesus is what we do when we go for that one hour to Woodside Bible Romeo. That one hour, that's when we're going to talk about Jesus. Or when you get up and you do your little quiet times, when you do your devotions, 
that five or 10 minutes, like that's what I'm going to think about. But then I'm going to go to school. Then I'm going to go to work. Then I'm going to go be around family. Then I'm going to go do my thing and I'll shelve Jesus until I come back. Or even think about the crowds in that first century. As all these crowds are following Jesus, it wasn't just those who were curious about following Jesus. Man, you had some religious types in that crowd. You had his own family who happened to gather. So in that place, how do you move to this place of ultimate allegiance and following Jesus? Or is this going to be two points today? The first is that you're going to see that Jesus challenges our religious assumptions. He challenges our religious assumptions. Look down at Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 22, but let me, let me say this. And I'll get into this more as we go. This is actually the middle of the story. So like I'm jumping in in the middle of the story. I'll explain it more in a second. But verse 22 says this. It says, And the, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of the demons. He casts out demons. And he called them to him, and he says to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So Mark uses a literary technique here. He uses it a lot throughout his, his book, but... It's called sandwiching, sandwiching. So I want you to think like grilled cheese, right? If you think grilled cheese, you got a piece of bread, you got a piece of bread, some cheese in the middle. You're tracking? We're at the cheese part, okay? We're going to get to the bread in a second, but it's where he starts telling a story, and, and this is important too. Anytime you see the sandwiching technique used by Mark, it's not like a squirrel, you know, squirrel. It's not that kind of a moment. That's not what's going on. It's not that Mark is just that distracted and, you know, maybe he has ADHD. That's not what's going on with Mark. In fact, what you're going to see is always when they're sandwiching this used, there's a connection, right? There's a connection between the first story that's on the ends and that middle story. There's a connection. That's the same thing we're going to see. So the bread is going to be the family where his family's like, you know, Jesus is crazy. He's lost his mind. What's going on? And we'll come back to that. But this is talking about the scribes at first. The scribes. Now, let me talk about the scribes because I don't know what comes to mind when you think of scribes, but I, I want to make clear what the scribes did. The scribes, they were the, they were the experts in the law. When you think of the Jewish law, these were the kind of like attorneys. Like these were almost like attorneys. They were experts in the law. They would have drafted all the legal documents, any kind of legal documents. The scribes would have been the ones to draft those legal documents, right? That's what a scribe would do. The scribes were the experts of the law, and not only in knowing it, but in living it. So in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, there had been some, some talk. Jesus is up to something. We're hearing stories of this Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They're together and they're talking like, who is this guy and what's going on? So they look at the scribes, these experts in the law. You need to go and you need to put eyes on this Jesus and you need to give us a report back. Like, how do you define what's going on? Like, what's your verdict? 
of what's going on. So they send these scribes down to look at Jesus and to watch the ministry that's going on. And they see, they see as there are exorcisms taking place and these demons are going on the run. They see as diseases and sicknesses are being healed. They, they have a front row seat to what Jesus is doing. And here's their conclusion. Their verdict is, yeah, we can't explain it. We can't. We didn't give the authority to Jesus. We didn't give the power to Jesus. It must be evil. That must be what it is. And they use this word Beelzebub right here. Now, theologians have looked and they've looked to see, like, are there other places in Jewish literature where this name is used, where this is a frequently used name? And not, not necessarily. That's not necessarily the case where this is just a name that's just plastered all throughout Jewish literature. But it's clear that they believe that Jesus is possessed by the prince of the demons. That's what they've said. Like, this, this has to be evil. We didn't give him the authority, so how's he doing this? Like, how is he able to accomplish these things? They basically say this has to be some type of witchcraft. Has to. Has to be some type of witchcraft. To which Jesus responds. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not just going to let that float out there. Like, no, I'm going to respond to that. And he responds pretty firmly. Like, and you're going to see, like, he gives a very firm response. He does it in parable form. So a parable would be an illustration, right? A parable is where... Jesus doesn't talk directly at it, and yet he's talking directly at it. But he's like, it's kind of like this. He says, it's kind of like a house, a kingdom that's divided amongst itself. Now, these are scribes. These are experts in the law. These are experts in Judaism. And so their minds would have gone right back to the house of David. And if you're like, why? Why Why would the mind have gone back to the house? Because the house of David was where there was a great division. In fact, the nation of Israel had divided because of the family. They had divided into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah. They would have remembered well the history of their people. And so when Jesus is talking about this house divided, can't stand, they're picturing the kingdom, right? They're picturing the nation of Israel and how it had been divided and how horrible it had been for the people. And Jesus continues and he says, clearly that makes no sense. Like your argument's not even logical because what you're saying is that this is evil. If you, what you're saying is the things that Jesus, what he's doing is evil, then what you're saying is it's Satan against Satan. Now, if it's Satan against Satan, then Satan can't stand. He's going to lose, right? So he's like, if it's by the power of Satan that demons are being cast out, what sense does that make? It's not going to take long until all of a sudden his kingdom comes toppling down. And then he's like, which, by the way, that's exactly what's happening. His kingdom is toppling down, but not how you think. You see, it's almost like Satan is a strong man. And if you want to come in and plunder what he's built up, you have to bind the strong man. That's what the Lord has done. By the power of the Lord, he has been bound. He is powerless against the Messiah. He is powerless against King Jesus. King Jesus shows up and speaks. The demons run. King Jesus shows up, he speaks, the diseases are healed just like that. And Jesus is saying, your arguments aren't even make sense. And then he continues to build on that and he uses that word truly. Now, if I'm you and I'm taking notes in my Bible, I'm underlining that word truly. I'm circling the word truly. Listen to what he says. He says, truly, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter... But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. 
As a pastor, I just want you to know, I spend a lot of time talking about this verse. Now, y'all, I'm, I'm not a priest. I don't wear a black shirt. I don't have a little white collar. You don't have to confess any sins to me. Like, that is not required. Not needed. Um, just not needed. We don't need to do that. Like, we don't. You can just go to the Lord with all that. Like, you can. And yet, sometimes, in all seriousness, sometimes people will sit down and they'll say, but, you know, Pastor, you just don't know what I've said. And you don't know what I've done. You, you really don't know what I've done. I mean, I've been to some dark places. And... And then they're like, because what about this? Here's what's happened in my life. And, and they start to go through what they've said and done. Listen, I want you to know I'm more concerned with truth and not feeling. Because your feelings will get in the way. Your feelings will trick you. But truth endures forever. And this is what truth says. Truth says Jesus started by saying truly. That word truly in the Greek is the same word as the word Amen. Do you see that? So he's like, just so we're clear, the strong man has been bound. He is powerless against God. And it's Jesus saying, amen. And because of that, I say to you, all sins. How many sins? Which sins? All sins. All sins will be forgiven. Every single one of them. All sins. But what about all sins? All sins are forgiven. But one. There's just one. Jesus says the one is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Remember the context. What is the context? The context is the scribes are looking at Jesus and they're giving a verdict. The verdict is this has to be that he's possessed. This has to be evil. This has to be something where we need to distance ourselves from Jesus. And Jesus says the very thing I came to do to save and to set you free, the very thing I came to offer, which is the forgiveness of sins, the very thing that I came to bring, you can't have. Because you've rejected the Messiah. You've rejected Jesus as Lord. Because of that, that's that one sin that can't be forgiven. Now, this isn't a perfect illustration, but I, I hope it explains this. Because that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Like, it does. Like, you will not be forgiven that sin. That sounds so harsh. So picture it like this. Let's imagine that uh, Coach Campbell takes over the Detroit Lions. You're picturing this with me, right? If you don't know who that is, that's that really jacked guy that's the coach for the Lions now, right? That really muscly fella, okay? You got this muscly coach who a couple years ago took in, took over and stepped in as coach for the Lions. So picture this scene with me. I wasn't there. I didn't get to be in the locker room, but imagine day one. He's going to walk in. Some of you, you're a boss where you are. You're a manager. You're an owner. You're whatever. You know what this feels like. You walk in and you look around. Right? You're just kind of processing everything in your mind. What am I dealing with? Where's our starting point? And he's like, okay, we're going to need some coaches because I'm it right now. I need to hire some coaches. So he brings in some position coaches, right? He's bringing in a staff. He's getting the staff together. They meet and they're finally going to have a team meeting. You picturing this? He sits the team down. The team's all sitting in their really comfy chairs. And he's like, here's how it's going to be. There's a new sheriff in town. And they're watching him, and he's going, and you're going to go to this kind of meeting, and you're going to go to this workout, and this is what practice is going to be like. And I've been looking, and I can't find too many times we've been to the playoffs, and you know, I can't find any championship rings around here, not any. I've looked for them. They're not here, but we need to change some things around here. All right, let's get to work. Now, you know what it's going to be like two hours later. 
there's going to be some guys over in the corner. What are they going to do? They're going to chit-chat. They're going to chit-chat. And here's what they're going to do. I don't know who this guy thinks he is. On a, you know, he comes in thinking because he works out. You know, he works out. Because he works out, he's just going to boss people. I don't even know how he got this job. He hasn't been a head coach before. What makes him think he's qualified? He's never won anything before. What makes him think he knows how to win in the NFL? Like, seriously? He's going to come in and tell, I'm a professional athlete. He's going to tell, I'm a grown man. He's going to tell me how it's going to be. I don't think so. Like, I don't know who that, it's not going to take long, is it? Before all of a sudden, a team meeting is called. We're, we're going to have a sit down. That's what we're going to do. Can you, can you see this scene? So he sits down the whole team again. Maybe some of you in your workplace, you've had this experience. He sits the team down and he's going to say this. He's going to say, I told the reporters, yeah, I do work out, guys. Clearly, I don't look like this all by myself. I'll work out. Not here. I work out at home when I wake up and then I get into the office bright and early to get to work. Did I do anything special to get the job? I applied and I was available and I was hungry and that's how I got the job. They didn't give me anything. I worked hard to get to this spot. As far as how it's going to be, yeah, I'm the coach. And the thing is, as a coach, here's the deal. He only wins if they win. See, he's not a track star, right? What happens with a track star? A track star runs, and if they win, they win. Like, they're, they're, not, they're not counting on anybody else. But for Coach Campbell, he's like, no, the only way this works is if you win, I win. Otherwise, I'm fired. Like, that's the way this works. That is the name of the game. If you win, I win. And so for now, yeah, I'm calling the shots, and I'd love for you to be part of this team but if you can't submit to that, like you can't be a lion, there's the door. Because we're going to win. That's what we're going to do. And they, did, they won a game, didn't they? Like they won one. They won one. It was exciting. We don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but, but they won one and it was great. So it's not a perfect illustration, but hopefully it makes a little bit more sense with what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, no, I, I'm offering this message of salvation. Freedom for one and for all, and I want you so desperately to be part of it. And in this moment where early in Mark, he's like, you don't know exactly what this is going to cost. You don't get it yet. But I'm telling you, there's one sin that's going to be forgivable and, or be unforgivable, and it's going to be the rejection of the Messiah. That's it. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Saying that what God has done to reunite the Lord and humanity, saying that that's evil, that's, that's, the, that's it. That's the one thing. That is not forgivable. Now, depending on which seat you come at this from, this can seem really challenging or really comforting, right? From a religious perspective, it can be really challenging because it's that spot of saying, now, wait a second, I'm not, I'm not necessarily an atheist. Like, grandma was a Christian, and like, so I'm not an atheist and I'm not a Buddhist. I guess that makes me a Christian. I go to church sometimes even. I mean, here I am. I'm here this morning on a Sunday morning. Like, so, but what Jesus is saying is like that, that will not be forgiven. That's so harsh. It seems so exclusive, right? It's his way or the highway. That seems so exclusive. Like I'm struggling with that. Because I, I'm, I'm not that bad, I don't think. I mean, I'm kind of religious, like, I even do, like, a little nativity at Christmas. I, I'm, I got some religion in me. You know, I pray, like, sometimes if I'm interviewing for work or whatever. Like, I, I pray. Like, I do things. And this message seems so, so challenging that Jesus just gave. And 
For the rest in the room, this is the most comforting message in the world. Because what I would encourage you with, those who think it's challenging, it's not the most exclusive message in the world. It's the most inclusive message in the world. Because again, we come to this place of saying, but what about this sin in my life? And what about that sin in my life? And Jesus says, all sins are forgiven. All are welcome. I don't care, Jesus says, where you came from. I don't care your religious background. I don't care what mom or dad did. I don't care what sins you've committed. I don't care what nationality you might be. I don't care if you're rich or poor, educated or not. I literally don't care about any of that. We all have the opportunity to go to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, every single one of us. And so as a believer, talk about comforting. I am judged not based off of my actions. I am judged off of my faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. Talk about comforting. Jesus offers this place. It says, let's break through religion and let's surrender to him as Lord. The other thing we're going to see is he reorients our family loyalty. So again, the sandwich thing. We have a piece of bread on this side, the cheese, and a piece of bread on this side. We covered the cheese. Now we're moving to the bread. So we're going to be in verse 20 and 21, and then we're going to skip over to verse 31. Start in verse 20. Mark 3, 20. Then he went home. Okay, back to last week. Last week, Jesus had been kicking out these demons. Last week, Jesus had been healing the sick and the lame and the blind. Like all that had been happening last week, this crowd had followed Jesus have followed Jesus to the sea and then followed Jesus to the side of this mountain where he calls out the 12 to follow him. Right after that, that's where this starts. It says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And so Jesus shows up to the house and the crowd starts to gather. And as the crowd starts to gather, his mom and his brothers come out. His mom and his brothers come out and they're like, man, I listen, for 30 years there's been Jesus and we've known there's something different. But now all of a sudden there's demons and like all of a sudden there's the sick being healed like Jesus is out of his mind. Listen, we need to get Jesus away from the crowd. Like we need, here's my question. Were they surrendering to Jesus as Lord right then? Or was it this scenario of, no, Jesus, we want you to follow our ways? Because I'm going to say this. I'm guilty of that. Come on now. I'm guilty. I am so guilty of Jesus. Here's my timeline. Here's what I want you to do, Lord. This is real good. This is a great plan. Trust me in this plan. This is my timeline. Jesus, here are my goals. Here's what I'd like to see accomplished. And it would be awesome if you could jump on board and do the things that I want to do. Like, that'd be super. Like, I would be so in favor of that. I'd be in favor of me. That's what I'm in favor of, Lord. Just do the... Am I the only one? Come on now, because y'all are looking at me, give me no feedback whatsoever. Like none. But I'm telling you, that's what we do. That's what we do. I'm telling you, the way you believe, what you believe about Jesus totally informs your posture toward him. 
And you're seeing what the family believes about Jesus in this moment. So here's what he says. He says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Do you know? His mom, his brothers, their jaws literally would have hit the ground right there. You, you realize that, right? Because the family unit was everything. Go read that Old Testament again. When you read it again, you're going to find that family unit, that circle of your family, informs everything about your identity. Everything about your identity. Because who your family is, that's going to determine what you're going to be when you grow up. Who your family is, that's going to determine what line, what tribe you belong to. Why is that important? Because to be able to identify what tribe you belong to says that you're part of the nation of Israel. You're part of God's chosen people. You are this royal priesthood. You are this group that God has chosen for himself amongst all the people of the nation. This family unit means everything. And Jesus said, who's my family? Who's my family? Because it's bigger... It's bigger than this nuclear family. He's doing something different here that's never been said or done. He said, my family, my family would be those who live lives that are defined by God and doing his will. Again, one of those topics is a pastor comes back again and again and again. What's the will of God for my life? You know, the will of God has nothing to do with do I get a red car or a green car? Because the Lord doesn't really care about what color your car is. Like that's not the priority of life. If you're going, well, what is? We talked about it last week. Go listen to the sermon again. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Is to be with Jesus and then to be sent out by him. That's the will of God, to be with Jesus and be sent out by him, to know him. Man, we talked about that, to know him, to spend that intimate time with the Lord, to know him and then to go make him known. That's the will of God. That's what our lives are about. Church, that's, that's what we're called to. We're called to this place of knowing him more, of opening up the word of God, of knowing him more, and then going out to make him known. That's what should be driving our lives. But that's not what was going on in this moment. You see, I, I don't think we're all that different today than we were in the first century. Now, maybe we're going, well, I'm not worried about chasing that family line to see what tribe we belong to and what this and that. Yeah, but, but we still do it today. We still do. I just talked about it a moment ago. Well, because of what grandma believed, what mom believed, what dad believed, because of what they believed, and that informs who I am. I guess I'm a Christian because I'm, I'm not Buddhist, so I guess I'm a Christian. By default, that's what we do. Or down south. I know we say it different here in Michigan, but down south they'd say, well, you know, we're blood and blood's thicker than water. Right? We're kinfolk. That's how they say it. We're kinfolk. What's that mean? It means we're related. That's what that means. And we like to think that we're above that, right? But what, what happens sometimes in, a, in the south, I'll talk about there, we'll say, well, you can get married to who you want to get married to. You can go to church. You can get baptized. You can go work. You can move wherever you want, but you just remember who your family is. You remember who your blood is. And some of you are like, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in that. I know what you're talking about. I smell what you're stepping in. You know, I'm, I'm with you. And some of you are like, I don't even understand you when you do that accent. Don't do that. You know, I don't. But we do it here too. We do it here too. A third conversation I have a lot as a pastor is, hey, I've got some of these hurts because here's what happened. As a family, we've been talking about how we're together and we're, we're a family and we're this and we're that. But man, I got excluded because this person passed away and this is what happened. And money's went here and there. And in the, at the end of the day, it all comes down to like whose blood. 
And it just makes me feel like the outsider and so weird. And I don't know what to do with that. And I hope you see what Jesus says here. That when it comes to following him, it's not about what's that family line look like. And it's not about what's that religion look like. It is what is your faith in Jesus as Lord? What does that look like? So on um, Friday, I, I attended a funeral. And since that moment, man, my head has just been swimming, thinking. Thinking about that moment that we will all face. Every single one of us. We're going to be face to face with the Lord one day. What do you say in that moment? And I've thought, you know, I've rehearsed in my head, like that's going to help. You know, I've rehearsed in my head thinking like I'll get there and I'll say, but remember, like this was the location and this was the time and this was the Easter service and I surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Like I'm claiming Jesus. I'm the, can, I, can I just tell you the conclusion I've come to recently? I don't, I don't think I'm actually going to have to say anything Because I think when I'm face to face with the Lord, he's going to look at me and he's going to say, I know you. I know you. And Billy, I know. Oh, my gosh. You messed so many things up. You blew it. Like you, you, you're a special one. You are. (laughs) And the thing is, I know it sounds funny, but I'm not joking at all. I think the Lord's going to look and say, you know, Bill, if you hadn't sinned here, here, and here, if you didn't let pride get in the way, if you would just shut your mouth sometimes, <laughs> and I also saw the places that you really tried, the places that you were quick to lean on me, I see those places too. But you know, above all of that, Billy, I know you because I know my son. So what do you do with truth today? There's only one of a couple responses. Either A, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and man, I am celebrating my salvation in the Lord today. What an awesome reminder we've had. That's one response. Second response is, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have really started to make life about me and not about him. And I don't know where that happened or how that happened, but I'm going to slam on the brakes, and I'm going to turn to Jesus today. How gracious is our Lord to give me another chance at this? Or that third group? That third group is a group who says, I've been leaning on my family, I've been leaning on my religion, but I've never surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Because he is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And today is the day that I recognize him as Lord. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the great things that you have done. Lord, I thank you for this powerful reminder in Scripture of Jesus just laying the foundation for our faith. Lord, for this picture of it's one of the three that Jesus is is crazy. Jesus is a liar. He's evil. Or he's Lord. And if he's Lord, it changes everything. Lord, we are changed. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who would say, I have been changed by the blood of the Lamb. I have been set free. 
Yeah, there's hurts, habits, and hangups there, but I've been set free in Christ. And for those who've never surrendered, I pray that today is the day that they surrender, that they say, I believe that God loves me, that Jesus came and died for me, and that he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death. Lord, let there be people today who turn to you, because your word doesn't return void. It will accomplish the purpose that you're sending it. Lord, be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.